I was thinking about having a glass of wine, but it's 11 (laughs) a.m. Listen, Melissa, are you looking at somebody who ever judges you? I am never going to judge you for having wine at 11. You deserve it. Oh, thank you. Um, I have a nice chilled bottle bottle of rosé sitting in the fridge. Oh my gosh, that sounds good. And the house is empty. It's raining outside. It's fall. I have a cozy cashmere blanket. Oh, that's the best. It's the best. The quiet, the peace, my furry warm dog. It's like a cocoon of fall (laughs) warmth. (laughs) I got my sweater on. (laughs) Is is this what heaven looks like? It, It literally sounds like you just described heaven. (laughs) <laughs> I think I think I did. It's it's just so nice to have this peace, especially been I've been on the road, as you know, I've been gone, yeah. I've been gone from home for a month. I've been working on a documentary and the day what my days look like when I'm out on set is, you know, call time is 8 a.m. And sometimes I'm not leaving the studio till 8 p.m. to mm-hmm. 9 p.m. some days. Like you don't even see sunlight really other than lunchtime. <laughs> and that really like messes with your psyche too. Cause I've been in situations like that before too, where you're like, oh my gosh, am I even living in reality right now? I haven't seen sunshine basically well, all day. Well, it's good to be home because we have craft services. And so there's like Rice Krispie treats and chocolates and bagels and all carbs. And, and when you get into this kind of groove of working, it's so easy to just go grab a couple things and eat while you're, you know, looking at monitors and <laughs> yeah, you don't have time to think about your health goals. No, <laughs> you're like just no. eating to survive and get to the next project or task. Like it really is like I've been in that zone before too, where I've heard people like on reality TV, somebody, I can't remember what scene it was and I couldn't have related more, but one of the cast members was like, I just forgot to eat. Like I'm starving right now. It's five o'clock in the evening. Why are you so starving? I literally forgot to eat. And I've, I've forgotten to eat before. When I'm really busy, the last thing on my mind is stopping for anything, let alone like even a bathroom break. Sometimes I like try to hold it because I'm just, I'm so busy and it's such like an unhealthy thing, I'm sure. But I'm just so focused on getting the task done that it's like, okay, wait, it's four o'clock. I haven't eaten and I need to go to the bathroom like really bad, (laughs) you know, so I totally get it. I've been working with really special people close to the case, which I can't reveal who yet, but I will reveal soon when it's announced. And it's been an amazing project, a really incredible, like life-changing project. So it's nice to be back home where my focus can be back on things that, I mean, Filming gives me joy, but being home, I'm kind of a homebody. I don't know. Are you a homebody? I am. People would be surprised by that, I think, because, Mm -hmm. you know, when I'm out, like I am ready to go, love to be the life of the party, yada, yada, like very conversational, but I love a good stay at home moment. I, I really do. I get tired on Friday nights. Other people are like, oh, let's go out. And I'm like, oh, Friday's the worst day for me to go out. I'm like done for the week. I just want to melt into my couch and be in bed by nine o'clock. And typically that's what me and Steve do. So yeah, I I do consider myself somewhat of a homebody, but then I get to the point where I'm like, I need to get out and I want to go tie one on and I want to go like laugh with my friends and do, and we do do those Wait, things. Wait, what but, does that mean? Go tie one on? Oh, tie one on is just get rowdy, girl. Oh. Just get rowdy. <laughs> Yeah. That is not where my mind went. Okay, I was like, mind. always goes to the dirty places. <laughs> tell me, tell me. 
no, no, <laughs> it's okay. I'm just curious if other people listening is like, tie one on. I've never heard that. Well, it's like, and it's so like, I don't know if like some of the things I say or some of the things you say are like native to where we grew up. Like I'm a Southern California girl. And so a lot of the things I say, I've noticed that some of my podcast friends, for instance, like, you know, I met up with CrimeCon recently. Yeah. We went to CrimeCon and I said something and somebody was like, wait, what? Kind of like you just did. And I'm like, oh, I just thought everybody said that. And they're like, no, that must be a Southern California thing. But you're, you're from Southern California. No, 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 you lived in Oregon. I, well, I grew up in Washington state. Yes. Okay. So yeah, totally different then. I think that we would have a lot of different, um, slang here Mm -hmm. than you would in Washington. Yeah. That's funny. That is really funny. Even though we're the same age, we're the same generation but Mm -hmm. we grew up in two very different places. So I think that would, and I have noticed like when you and I speak, I've told you this before, one of your, one of your idiosyncrasies, and I can't really adequately like explain it, but you speak in a certain way that is very different from like a Southern California person. Like I, I notice that we speak differently. Like you say things differently than I do, or I say things differently than you do. And that must be a function of like where we grew up because we're both the same generation. Yeah, I, I'm curious because I could definitely hear accents as I travel, you know, the, the nation, you know, I just went to, on a cruise, I went on a cruise with my husband on the MSC seaside, we went to the Bahamas and, um, I met this lady I called Miss Florida, but she definitely had a New Yorker accent. I noticed I a, love New Yorker. a New York accent. I do too. I noticed a lot of New Yorkers move to Florida. That surprises me. Well, or is it just my, okay. That is my perception is that, um, people in New York love to vacation in Florida okay. and that makes move, sense. and then retire in Florida, like Boca, Boca Roca. I don't know. Yeah. Thing. Boca Raton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Boca Roca. <laughs> I've been to that restaurant before. No, just kidding. <laughs> Boca sorry. Roca. I'm sorry, folks. I'm sorry. That is hilarious. Oh my God. Well, I mean, it makes sense because Florida's not like, I guess, super far from no. New York. Um, no. And it also makes sense that people who live in a place that has very harsh winters might want to be like, okay, now that I'm retired, I am done with the snow. I want to go where it's always sunny. So they come to like Southern California or Arizona or Florida or somewhere where, you know, the sun is always shining, so to speak. So have you ever been on a cruise? I haven't. And Steve, my husband wants to go on one. I am not excited. And I will tell you why. My biggest fear I hate crowds, which is why like, I really am not like, I hate Disneyland. I hate all the theme parks. I could not care less about any of them. I don't want to go to these places, but I do because I have kids, but I am just afraid that's like, I'm trapped in this environment that I can't get off. I don't know what the people are going to be like, if they're going to be cool, if it's going to be like super touristy, if it's going to be crowded, if it's going to be, and a part of it, I think is my like, not wanting to be trapped. So, but I do want to experience things and I don't want to be closed-minded to it. So it's not that I wouldn't go. I would totally go, but I just don't want to go on one of those that's super touristy. I I think that I'd have, and I know that sounds super judgy, but I just really don't want to be packed in like a bunch of sardines. I just want it to be the right environment if I'm going to be stuck on this. What what cruise ship are you going on? Uh, Whatever the bougie one is. (laughs) 
What is that? I don't know. Because I don't know enough about, I don't know, maybe not princess cruise lines, but maybe it's nice. I really, I've never been on one, so I don't know. Okay. So I was in the same place that you were. And so this was my very first cruise and I did some things I feel like right. So with the cruise ship, I noticed that there's different cabins that you can order. So I ordered the highest level. I ordered the yacht club. Cool. And that was like having a boat within a boat. So it was like this exclusive little club where you really get to know people and wasn't crowded. Mm. And we got VIP access on the elevators. We got a premium drink package. So all the top shelf liquor we oh, got. Love a top shelf moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, we, we got a butler. No. Yeah, we had a butler. 24 that's hours butler so service. Cool. Okay, and that's cool. What I loved about it is that we were so spoiled that it was hard to come home. <laughs> okay, that's why. But that's why it was like so that. hard to come yeah. home because everything was so perfect. We would leave the cabin and then immediately when we would come back, the bed was made again. The shower was wiped out. Oh. There's chocolates on our nightstand. We so would it's a leave. true vacation in a every sense of the word. Vacation. And when you come home, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess you don't have a butler in, in your A-frame no. in Oregon. Okay. No, I, Neither do I. I'm working. That's goals. That's hashtag goals. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, that honestly, and that's... I So I am 45. You are similar age, you know, and mm-hmm. like my husband and I talk about it all the time. It's been a gradual change from like, let's save as much money as we can, but go on vacation to... I don't want to go on vacation unless we can do it the right way. And that does not mean that we need to take a private jet. It does not mean that we need everything top notch. It just means if I'm going to go on vacation and spend time away from my home, I want to truly enjoy it. And that, and for me at this stage in my life, I only want to go if I can afford to do it the right way. And again, it doesn't have to be you know, celeb status, all that, because I probably couldn't even afford the things that they do. But I'm just saying, like, it sounds like you did it in a way that, yes, you had to spend more money, but you will have that memory forever. And you needed to unwind from a month-long rigorous shoot schedule for this documentary. So it was worth the money, right? You don't regret spending that money, do you? Well, the bummer part, no, I have no regrets, like, to be spoiled to that level, because as a a woman, as a person, I put all my energy into everything, into everyone. And this is a gift I give to myself to let go and to relax and not have to think about a thing. I didn't have to think about dinner, wine. All I had to do is what bikini do I want to wear today? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And then how much sunscreen so I don't get burnt? (laughs) Those were my problems. You are a girl after my own heart. Thank Mm -hmm. you for wearing your sunscreen because that is my biggest PSA in life. Like I shout from the mountaintops, please wear your goddamn sunscreen because so many people don't. And I've had some issues with little skin cancers and stuff. So I just want everybody to wear that. And plus you want to age gracefully. So speaking of age and I don't want to go like in the weeds here, but have you been watching The Golden Bachelor? Okay. I was just talking (laughs) about this with my friend, Roberta Blevins. She's also a podcaster. She's like, it does this like anti-MLM stuff. She and I did a recording yesterday. And at the end, we started talking about the reality TV shows that we watch and she brought up Golden Bachelor. I tend to not watch The Bachelor at all because it is so cheesy. It is, it's the cheese factor makes me cringe so hard that like I can't watch. But 
the golden bachelor at first sounded interesting to me because I thought incorrectly that it was maybe somebody around our age or like in their 50s. But then I learned it was like a much older age group. And here's the thing. I have no, I'm not being ageist here, but I also don't want to watch people who are my parents' age talk about sex and like all the, I just, it's cringy for me because I feel like I'm watching my parents make out. If it was like, I would be more interested if it was like closer to our age, maybe like mid fifties going on their second or third marriage. You know what I mean? Like something like that. But because they are like the age of my parents, I just don't feel like I can relate. Oh my God, I love it. I love it. You know why I love it? Because it shows me what my next phase in life will look like and be like. First of all, they captured though. Yeah, I'm married. But what what I appreciated was so episode one, we get to know Gary and and I feel like to to have a successful series surrounded by this man, you have to actually root for this man. You have to actually believe that he's a good guy and not a pig. So they set that up very well. He's, he's, his wife is deceased. They bought their dream house house. And so I found myself crying (laughs) the first episode. And then I found myself thinking my husband, if I die, I don't want my husband dating all these gorgeous women. (laughs) (laughs) Like he better not be, he better not be the fucking golden bachelor and get all these hot chicks to like be lining up for him. Wait a minute. I'm changing the trust. I'm changing the trust. No, I'm just kidding. I You're was putting like, that in the trust. Like. Yeah, the trust. You are not going to be Mr. Golden Bachelor. Yeah, yeah. You can only date ugly chicks. That's it. <laughs> That's it. But you know what else it showed me is like there's the cringe factor of desperation in dating yeah. doesn't go away with age. So first of all, I like Gary. Then you meet all the women and I... I understand TV production. I know at the beginning you have to make a really strong first impression. So I found that comical how all the girls try to make that stand out against the other girls. Which I find so cringy. I hate it is. the gimmicks the com- coming out yeah. of the limo. I cannot. I would like that alone mm-hmm. makes me not want to watch. Okay. It's so beyond cringy to me. It is it is cringy but comical. So anyway, going forward, they they're memorable to you now because you watched it and you remembered them. Sure. Because anybody else in the series that didn't do a little, you know, gimmick or whatever or a little stick, then you for, they're forgettable. And yeah. you want to get to see their personalities really fast. And so when you know it on a production level, you know your first goal is to be noteworthy. You want to you want to be memorable. But you know? like these women coming out of the limo with like mm-hmm. a walker or whatever I saw in like TikTok clips, like do they have a memorable personality outside of that yes. little shtick that they did? Okay, They do. But then you have something that you can refer to with another person. Like I could say, the because you'll forget her name. Yeah. So the girl that walked out with the walker or the girl that clucked like a chicken, whose her name is April, yeah. or um, the girl who sang a song. Like you might not remember her name, but you'll remember as the girl who did the song or the girl, yeah. you know, the girl who said sure. zip it. <laughs> yeah. And like for me, I've watched so much reality TV mm-hmm. that I'm getting so exhausted with the production of it, truthfully. Like, and and I even see it in The Housewives because when you, and I love watching The Housewives. Like it's just, that's how I unwind is I watch like trash TV, right? Because you don't have to think, you don't have to be, mm-hmm. make for many intelligent thoughts. It's just fun. And I can text my friends about it. Oh my God, can you believe what this person did? But it's also like the production of it 
now as a viewer, we're a lot more keen to these produced moments. And it's so cringy for me to watch because I'm like, oh, it reminds me that it's really not super real. Yes, it is. There are real emotions, real arguments, real deep, real tears. I understand that. But it also has to be produced. And so I think I'm just kind of jaded because I've been watching reality TV so long. So for me to like get excited about a reality TV show, like that kind of stuff just turns me off because I'm like, oh God, can we just get to the meat and potatoes? Do they have to come out of the limo with a walk? Like, but other people like- Oh, you'd be so bored. You'd be so bored. If you, so I see everything when I'm filming. Yeah. Um, I see it all. And this is the amount of boring shit that we cut out like we're giving just the highlights and to like save your time, you want to move things along and have a sure. nice story arc. So nothing's scripted in what they say, but the, it's all the for follows like this for like a, a reality series like this. The the key is in the casting, um, mm-hmm. but you can see like for example, my kids are starting to see it too. So we were sitting watching the Golden Bachelor, like mom, they hose the driveway, like you said. Yeah. So that gives that optical. Sure. Um, it makes it look better in California when you wet the driveway. So it a does. lot of scenes are wet. Well, um, yeah, my husband's a landscape contractor, and so there is a, a, a thing called like if people want to get pavers installed in their backyard or on their driveway, you can also put a sealer over it that gives the wet look. Like, oh. or you can do the matte look. Like, so there's this, so it's a total, but I I could see on camera where you would want it to be the wet look. It's more spark, it's more eye-catching and it just makes all the colors more rich mm-hmm. and deep, you know? So I can totally, so now your kids are picking up on things that producers are like, okay, wet the driveway before they come out, you know, of the house and do this and do that. And that's the thing. I love reality TV. First of all, me and my husband love what we call the boat show, but it's below deck, but we call it the boat show. My, cause my husband, like every day, he's not into reality TV, but he loves the boat show. And we started watching it together like a couple of years ago. And he'd be like, babe, is there a new episode of the boat show? So I love reality TV for that, that me and my husband can sit on the couch we both take sides. I'm like, no, no, no. I am so team this person. And he's like, well, I'm team this person. And we like, we have fun with it. So I uh-huh. love reality and reality TV is such a welcomed escape for the work that we do. You work in true crime. I work in true crime. It gets very dark. It gets very deep. And so like, for the most part, I'm not, I, I take breaks from binging true crime stuff and reality TV is my break. And so, yeah, I love, and The Golden Bachelor, I've been hearing a lot about it. So maybe I'll like tune in just so I could be a part of it. Watch but I'm... episode one. Okay. And see how you feel about it. I got my mother-in-law sucked into it. So I love what you said about this being a show, the boat show with your husband. I invited my mother-in-law to start watching The Bachelor, The Golden Bachelor with me as a way to connect with my mother-in-law. And yeah. so now we are texting each other throughout and watching it. And It's anyhow, such a great way to it, connect. It is. It's a it great is. way to connect. And that leads me to today's episode. Yes. Let's talk about it. Now, I have a lot to say about this little documentary. All right. Uh, not, not all of it's good. Okay. Uh, so I okay. can't wait to hear what you think, but shall I, or shall you, either one of us give just a quick synopsis of it? And then you and I will talk about what we thought about it. I'd like to tell anybody who's listening a little context for the show that we picked. Uh, As, as we were just discussing, I've been on the road for a while and Jamie, you run a successful podcast, Murderish, and time sometimes can get away from us. And so 
I like to connect and watch uh, true crime documentaries, but I never had the time. And so I found this could be a time for this series that we can watch a true crime documentary. And I wanted to pick a documentary that I haven't heard anybody talking about, which Mm -hmm. is Ice Cold. Uh, What is the subtext? It's called Ice Cold Murder, Coffee, and Jessica Wongso. Mm-hmm. Have you heard anything about this series Zilch. beforehand? Okay. I've heard nothing. All right. Listeners, you probably haven't heard anything or maybe you have heard something about this case, but I haven't even heard prior to this documentary, I didn't even hear about the case that it discusses. No. And it's interesting because they being like in the documentary, they describe it as being like the trial of the century and they compare it to OJ Simpson, which right off of the course, bat. <laughs> I was, and I could not have rolled my eyes harder because I'm like, this ain't OJ Simpson. But to be fair, maybe this is the OJ Simpson trial of Indonesia because this all takes place in Indonesia, not the United States. So it makes sense too. It happened in another country that we here in the United States would not have heard about the case. So I will give them that. Um, And another thing that I wanted to explain too, that um, you and I, Melissa, not only chose this because of time, we were a little bit short on time. We didn't have time to binge like a four or a six part docuseries, right? But also we're going to do things a little bit different today. So typically lie detectors, like when you guys hear us doing these episodes, it's either Melissa walking me through a case that I don't know much of anything about or me walking Melissa through a case that she doesn't know much of anything about and then we have genuine reactions. But this time, you and I decided that we're going to watch the same show, the same documentary. We're not going to take much notes. We are just going to give a quick synopsis and we're going to talk about it. Just true reactions as if you and I were kicking it together, drinking that rosé that you talked about, which I really wish we were. Um, but there's, we'll do that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. The holidays are near and the stress of magic making can give you a bit of overwhelm. Did I remember everyone on my list? Was I fair on the gift giving to each of the children? What side of the family do we say yes to for gatherings? This time of year can be a lot and it's natural to feel some sadness or anxiety about it. But adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all the stress and change, something to look forward to, to make you feel grounded and to give you the tools to manage everything going on. Therapy for me is a safe place to voice all my fears, overwhelm, and anxiety over social gatherings before they happen. And then afterwards to reflect on my own emotional growth so I can face the new year a better version of myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, which I really love that feature. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LL today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash LL. But so we're going to talk about it casually. I have a lot to say about this documentary and I think you probably do too. I Um, do. I'm really surprised. Okay, so I'm glad we're talking about this because... I put myself in the listener's place. So you, a listener, you're probably, if you haven't watched this, I'm either going to make a case to watch this series or not. 
right. might save you an hour and a half of your time. You're right. I don't or, know. Based on what we say, they might be like, okay, well now I have to to watch because okay. they have because I have some strong opinions about this. But um, why don't we do like a quick synopsis? So for the people who haven't watched it, do you mind if I just do just like Go the ahead. quickest Go little ahead. synopsis? Okay. So this docu series is surrounding the case of Jessica Wongso, who is a twenty at the time that this all took place back in 2016. Jessica Wongso was a 27-year-old Indonesian woman, but she was living in Australia at the time that this happened. And it's also involving victim Mirna Salihin. Oh, Salihin, I think. Salihin, I think it was Salihin. Okay, Uh, so... Two beautiful, rich friends that... Uh, went to college in Australia, Australia together, and Mirna came back to Indonesia, India, I think, or some Indonesia, form, Indonesia, uh-huh. and Jakarta, Jakarta, and this all centers around a meetup after college. Mirna gets married, and they're meeting at this very chic, Instagram trendy cafe that serves. Um, coffee and beer. Yeah. So the cafe is called Olivier or Olivier. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but I guess it's a very trendy, like, you know, Melissa said, like an Instagram worthy moment cafe. And Myrna uh, was very into coffee. They, they interview her twin sister and she says, Oh, my sister loved coffee. So as Melissa said, these two women, Jessica and Myrna, and by the way, Myrna was also the same age, 27 years old at the time of her death. They're both from Indonesia. They both went to Australia for college, but Myrna came back and got married just weeks before her death. Jessica ended up staying in Australia. However, Jessica was on holiday in January of 2016 when she came back to Indonesia and made plans to meet with her friend Myrna and another friend at this trendy cafe, Olivier. I'm going to call it Olivier, but... Yeah, Olivier. And then what was noteworthy to me is that you have to present yourself in a certain way at this cafe. They actually had rules. That About you the have way to, you looked, mm-hmm, dressed. Gucci, Prada, Louis Vuitton. Uh, one thing that that I noticed is that there's a lot of video footage that they use for this documentary. And there's a pivotal moment that you see a Hermes bag. <laughs> yeah. And that it gets moved as she's as okay. Let me backtrack. I don't want to get ahead. All right, yeah, let's so, go back. <laughs> so right. So the women, these three women, Mirna, Jessica, and another friend, they make plans to meet at this exclusive cafe where you have to like dress a certain way. There was a lot of like designer, you know, clothing. And these two women had money, Mirna and Jessica. So what happens is in January of 2016, Jessica arrives at the cafe first and she's caught on CCTV footage. However, soon after she arrives, she leaves. She comes back shortly after and the CCTV footage picks her up again. But now she has bags, several bags in her hand, like shopping bags, I would say. Then you see on CCTV footage, Jessica is walking around the cafe, kind of like 
surveying it. Like, it looks like she's like, oh, maybe we're going to sit here. Let me go to this area. Oh, maybe we should sit here. So she's kind of surveying it. She finally, you know, chooses a place to sit. I don't know if it's a booth or a table or what. Jessica sits down and you see her on the on the CCTV footage. She places her bags on the table and that will come into play later. And then she orders all the drinks for the girls. Specifically, she orders her friend Mirna's favorite drink, which was Vietnamese coffee. So she orders a Vietnamese coffee. She orders a drink for herself and probably a drink for this other girl who's going to meet with them too. That was like an old fashioned and uh, it was alcohol. So I saw, yeah, I saw on the receipt, there was two alcoholic beverages and the Vietnamese iced coffee for Mirna. Yeah. So Mirna was the only one who got a drink that wasn't alcohol. It was Vietnamese coffee. And um, Mirna and the other girl arrived together about 40 minutes later. I thought her name was Herna, like H-I-R-N-A. I I didn't catch her name, to be honest. So um, Mirna, Jessica's already there. She's ordered the drinks. And then Mirna and the other friend arrive together. And um, Mirna sits down. They all start drinking their drinks. But shortly after Mirna starts drinking this Vietnamese coffee, You see her on the CCTV footage and it's just heartbreaking. She throws her head back. She starts convulsing and she starts just not being able to breathe. And so everybody's like in a panic. Of course, the medics are called. Nobody knows what's going on. She gets wheeled out of there, immediately rushed to the hospital. Okay, the first scene that, okay, so as she's convulsing and throwing her head back, the one thing that sticks out of my mind of the video footage is you see the table move to the right, the like bistro table move to the right. And on it looks like a Hermes bag with some glasses on it. And then I'm watching the lady standing up, which I come to find out is Jessica. Yes. And the one thing that really stood out to me is, so you see this Hermes bag, like float on this table to the right. And then Jessica watching her friend convulsing grabs her Hermes bag and just stands and watches her convulsing. Yes. And that was, so people called her out for that. And of course you can't convict people on their behaviors, you know, so to speak, like, you know, in a traumatic situation, but certainly she was called out for people who were there for acting strangely, like kind of just standing there caring more about her bags than her friend who's convulsing. And then one of the employees at the cafe reported that uh, Jessica said something like, what did you put in her coffee? Like almost immediately, Jessica's mind went toward like something's in her coffee. Whereas you would think that my first reaction, and of course, I don't know because this I have not been through this. You would think your first reaction would just be like, is she having a seizure? Is she having a heart attack? Like you wouldn't think somebody put something in her coffee, but that's what this um, employee at the cafe said. Now, whether this is true or not, or just taking her word for it, that that's what Jessica said, which if that is true, it's a little odd, I would say. It seems a little sus. Well, what I thought about first is whenever somebody acts weird or oddly calm in a traumatic or crisis situation is I remember interviewing a woman that was a survivor of the Washington, D.C. sniper case where she was shot, not point blank, but from a distance from a sniper from, why can't I think of his name? Muhammad. Yes, the two. Yeah, the two. were together. 
Yeah, I don't know why I'm blanking on their names right now. But so this woman, I was interviewing her. She was shot by one of the DC snipers. And as she was fleeing her, and she was in her vehicle, and as she was fleeing her vehicle, she was thinking about her shoes. And that's what she was thinking about is her shoes, and she's bleeding profusely and trying to get to safety. And she told me, it's really remarkable what your brain thinks about when you're in these moments. And so yeah, when... When I see this moment with her friend convulsing and she's grabbing her purse, I think back to that interview with the victim and her telling me she thought about her shoes. So I, I don't know. Is, I don't know. You know, you're, you make a you bring up a really great point. And what I will say is that people who don't carry a purse may not really may think this sounds lame or unbelievable, but like I am very protective of my purse. Like when I go to restaurants, I am always aware. I never hang it in the back of me because I'm like, somebody could just walk by and grab it and I would have no idea. My purse is either on the chair next to me, scooted in so that somebody can't easily come and grab it, or it's on my lap or it's strapped to me. Like I am very, very, very protective and always aware of where my purse is. That's just We me. are opposites. We are opposites. I actually leave my purse in my seat as I go to the bathroom on an airplane until recently. I, yeah. I never thought about somebody stealing any contents from my purse on an airplane. I just, for some reason, I feel like my- Safe. Yeah, I feel safe that I don't know why. And so I would always just leave, go to the bathroom, come back. Plus, I don't, it's such a smart, compa- like small compartment a bathroom is on the airplane. Yeah, I it's never hard to want bring your purse in there. I don't want my purse in there touching all the surfaces. So I just leave it tucked away in the pocket. But I am very free with my purse and I, I'm not scared about it, but you are. So I am absolutely. And then when I go to work out at Orange Theory, like I don't leave my purse, I leave it in the car, but I put it in the backseat floor and I have tinted windows. So there's no way that somebody would really be able to look in and see that there's a purse on the floor in the backseat. Like, so I'm just very much aware, but so she could be that kind of person is my point. Like Jessica, Yes, she's watch, witnessing something very traumatic and shocking, but like she, you know, I can understand where your mind might also be like, oh, shoot, my purse is really far from me. Let me grab it. It's almost like a security blanket. I don't like being too far from my purse. It's so everybody's different. So I will Good give point. her that. Yeah, like Good maybe point. she's that kind of person. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. The holidays are near and the stress of magic making can give you a bit of overwhelm. Did I remember everyone on my list? Was I fair on the gift giving to each of the children? What side of the family do we say yes to for gatherings? This time of year can be a lot and it's natural to feel some sadness or anxiety about it. But adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all the stress and change, something to look forward to, to make you feel grounded and to give you the tools to manage everything going on. Therapy for me is a safe place to voice all my fears, overwhelm, and anxiety over social gatherings before they happen, and then afterwards to reflect on my own emotional growth so I can face the new year a better version of myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge, which I love this feature. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash LL today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash LL. You know, so really, you know, as you know, watching the documentary from there, you know, unfortunately, Myrna does pass away at the hospital and everybody starts to kind of zero in on the friend, Jessica, especially Myrna's father. He feels well, very strong. the first person that they interview is Myrna's father, who is quite a character right oh, from is. the get-go. So he shows up and you could hear the producer, the British um, interviewer. I think he's British or is he Australian? I don't remember his his accent right now, actually. Okay. So the first interview is with the victim's father and the one of the first questions the interviewer asks is like, you know, about his gun. Yeah. Hey, this guy, <laughs> father likes to tell, he's the toughest guy on earth. He'll, I just ask him, he'll oh, tell God you. Has, God has blessed him with extra nor, extraordinary strength. Yeah. He tell, he says, I'm 70 something and I can still do a hundred pushups. I got a gun. Look at me shoot. And then it shows him shooting his gun. Like, so he's a real, yeah. he likes to is tell that you. How, is that your doggies? That's my oh. baby. That's Shadow, <laughs> the big one. He becomes kind of a character through this. I was not expecting his character to come into focus as much um, as it did over the course of the interviews and the course of the documentary. I, I found, you know, working in the documentary space, I found that he was unique right from the get-go because he yeah. was talking about his strength and his ability to be a, a protector, which I thought maybe was hyper-focused because his daughter was killed or mm -hmm. died. We don't know if she was murdered sure. or died naturally. Sure. Um, they're making the case right off the get-go that she was murdered. And um, yeah, he's an interesting character. Yeah. So he right off the bat suspects Jessica, Mirna's good friend. He suspects that she may have put something in, you know, the coffee. And so the suspicion falls on Jessica pretty quickly. And then the case unfolds from there. And uh, Jessica does, in fact, go on trial in an Indonesian court a, a few months later after her friend died. But the interesting thing was before they got to trial, Myrna's body was sent, you know, for examination and the parents apparently would not, her parents would not approve a full autopsy. And I can understand like, yes, a full autopsy would have been nice from a justice standpoint and from an answer standpoint, because I think that's really the only way that we could really ever know for sure what killed her but they wouldn't approve that. And I can understand that as a parent because unfortunately not to get gory, but you know, the body has to be opened up for lack of a better term in, in all different areas. And so they have to mutilate the body uh, again, for lack of a better term. And so no parent wants to visualize their dead child going through that. So I think it was that also may a have been cultural a aspect. It was a cultural, there was a cultural aspect as well, uh, a part of this. Um, but at the beginning of the documentary, they say the police say you need to do an autopsy or you're not going to know who killed your daughter. And the father consents. I, you don't see the mother anywhere in this documentary, by the no, way. No, just the father and the sister. Yeah, of father the victim. and sister. Yeah. And um, which now watching it all the way through, I know why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why the mother wasn't? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I don't. Did know. you catch that at the end where uh -uh. he says 
He's at oh, oh, her. The women. The women. The women. The oh, women. At the end of the documentary. They just fly right past it too. They they just like let that just float there. I don't know. So there, the, there's a scene where he's at the funeral. I mean, not the funeral. Sorry. There's a scene where he's at the gravesite and he's saying, I'm a bad guy too. I've changed so many women. I've changed. I've I keep changing women is what he said. Or and I thought he that, said I've been with so many women. I thought he said he keeps changing women. Either way, he's saying he's had a lot of entanglements with women, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Which, okay, like, I don't know that that doesn't necessarily make you a bad guy. Like, what no. did you do with these women? I don't, I don't know. He doesn't elaborate. So, no, but he kind of becomes a little bit of a a dick, I think, towards the end of the doc, but I didn't like him as much toward the end. And I didn't find him as believable toward the end. But that's just, you know, who knows. Mm -hmm. But um, so basically, let's go back to when we liked him. Let's go back to the beginning when we we like him as a character. Well, I don't even know. Did you like him at the beginning? Or did you think he was a little uh, egotistical with his gun toting uh, it was a little much for me, um, <laughs> though, you know, everybody has certain personalities that kind of like grate on your nerves a little bit more than others. And I would say that any person who has to tell you multiple times how cool they are, how tough they are, how smart they are, how rich they are, that turns me off so bad. Like that is one of my biggest pet peeves when somebody and I always tell my kids, I'm like, be humble because there is always like if you're the best looking person in the room, everybody else is already going to know it. Like you don't need to tell them, hey, look how good looking I am. If you're the richest person in the room, chances are everybody's going to know it. You don't need to tell them. So I really, it grates on my nerves when somebody has to tell you how great they are. And so he was like that. He wanted us to know how tough he was, how badass he was and how, you know, this, this and that. But listen, I had empathy for him because he lost his daughter and that made me really sad for him. And of course, as a parent, I can understand, you know, that uh, I can't understand, but I can understand that he would be absolutely distraught and want to fight for justice until his dying day. So that's what I thought of him. So he thinks that Jessica did it. And so then that's when sort of everything happens. And then Myrna, her body is sent for processing, but apparently she couldn't get a full autopsy because the parents wouldn't consent to it. So all they ended up doing was taking like some small samples from her stomach. Yeah, it was test kind of for vague. like cyanide, right? Right. It was it was okay. vague that whole situation. So the next person that gets interviewed is the twin sister Sandy, who yeah. I find to be stunning and eloquent. She talks about a dream that she has with her sister the day of the burial where she dreams of her sister being in her wedding dress with a sad face. And Mm -hmm. I thought, Oh, is this a love triangle? Is this like foreshadowing in the documentary that we're going to discover the motive for Jessica to kill her friend is this love triangle. Yeah. And not like nothing comes to be. It's never discussed. The husband's never discussed, but the shenanigans that go on are in disturbing. Court. 
are disturbing Very. and it goes downhill from here. So go ahead. Let's go to let's the next talk about speak. that. So let's yeah. talk about the fact that Jessica does end up going on trial and the justice system in Indonesia looks very different than the US. So for example, there were like several public prosecutors who try the case. A team. It looked like team, six or seven. Like, yeah, yeah. Whereas there's only one defense attorney. And then there's a set of an assembly of three judges, no jury who are going to decide the case and the shenanigans, meaning like the outbursts of emotion and the, the defendant, she, she's getting grilled on the witness stand, which also Wait, looks different. Wait, there's no witness stand. It's a chair in front of in the a, middle of the room, but it's a chair in front of a line of men. Did yes. you see that visually? She yes. sits in this chair, a single chair in the middle of the room. How intimidating, by the way, you're like sitting in this chair and then you look across from you and in front of you is is the team of prosecutors to the right. And on the other side of this lineup it are the three judges that are, I thought they were all men. And all I think all of the prosecutors were men, but maybe one female. Maybe, maybe one, there's female. one female. Mm -hmm. um, and then she ends up hiring the celebrity, the Indonesia celebrity uh, defense attorney, Mr. Odo. And he's yeah, really on flashy guy, a really, I a come real to character. really like, I come to like him. Yeah, I, I do really too. come to like him. And he sits on the right, but he's far away from her. Like he there, he's not sheltering her in any way. She's completely isolated, sitting solo in this chair in the middle of a room. Yeah. And the defendant, Jessica, when, you know, trial is over for the day, or maybe they're on a lunch break, she's able to get up and go talk and shake hands with people in the gallery. Like I've sat on okay. a jury and that does not happen. Like the defendant, when, when we're, when we break for lunch, the defendant is escorted out of the courtroom back to wherever he's going to go. Like he's yeah. not chilling out and talking and shaking hands with people in the gallery at all. So this documentary also shows a woman journalist and I didn't write her name down. But the journalist, she gets a note from a handwritten note from Jessica, the defendant, yeah, the defendant saying, I like your wardrobe. And so she writes back, um, we're both Libras. <laughs> yeah, it to Jessica. Can I, can I interview you? And it's like this weird, it's like, why is Jessica talking? She's on the, in, she's fighting for her life. She's on trial for her life. And she's writing a note to a journalist saying, I like your wardrobe. So that's weird. Like, it's just, it's weird. So it's suffice it to say, if you go on court, and if you go on trial in Indonesia, it's going to look very different than it does here in the US. So she goes weird. on trial and it's like, okay, what I will say is that this case that the prosecution put on is literally built on circumstantial evidence, which again, you, you can try a murder case on circumstantial evidence. In fact, I would argue most are. So that's not really the problem. But it was tried on like grainy CCTV footage, conflicting expert testimony regarding the Oh my the cyanide God. Can we go into the testimony? Can we go into the testimony of Julia Roberts? Oh God. Okay. Did you see so that? That pause for this. Pause for this. Oh my God. This there is was the moment. An expert <laughs> witness who literally tried to, like a psycho psychiatrist of something, maybe they go in there and they're trying to argue that Jessica, the defendant, there's something wrong with her mentally because of the way her nose looked, the way her eyes were not oh. sparkly, like Julia Roberts, the US actress, like bogus bogus, bogus science, like bogus. 
Yes. And when the judge asked, which is new to me too, with this judicial system, is that the judge was able to ask questions of the experts. The judge asked, uh, how did you come to learn? This is so fast. He goes, this is so fascinating to me. And he's like, how did you come to learn this? He goes, studying American actresses. Yeah, that was his, <laughs> that was his certification. That her, those were his credentials. <laughs> he said she was a bad person by her facial features. Her eyes didn't sparkle. Her sparkle. Her eyes don't sparkle like Julia Roberts, for example. And then they put the picture of Julia Roberts on the screen. And I'm like, how is this happening? That was literally <laughs> entered as evidence that her eyes do not sparkle like Julia Roberts. Listen, motherfucker, if I'm on trial for murder, my eyes ain't sparkling either. So literally, like, stop with that. And I was so irritated. Like, if I was in this courtroom, let's just say it was a jury. I'm such an impatient person. I would be like, get this. He's wasting our time. Get out of here with your bullshit, with your Julia Roberts sort of, you know, credentials. Like I can't, (laughs) I cannot. And it's, and they also, which I hated, they made a big deal about the difference in beauty, quote unquote, between the two oh, women. Like, between the victim and, yes, the, and the evil like, perpetrator, Jessica. Yes, which, mm-hmm. by the way, they're both beautiful. Okay, so they like I- both are. And not that it matters, but they're both beautiful, but they tried to make it like Jessica's ugly, Myrna's beautiful. That's So basically this case, what frustrated me so much were a couple of things. Number one, the documentary would like tease us with something. Like, do you remember when they showed a headline during trial that uh, claimed that one of the public prosecutors, they called him the hot prosecutor, was dating a celebrity? And then they Mm -hmm. don't even talk about it. They literally just show a headline. It comes out of nowhere. And then pass it. And then they just pass it. And then then it's like, okay, well, so we're not going to talk about, like, why did you just show us that headline? That pissed me off. Like... Then they would like have the dad talk about what he changed or or was with all these women. Okay, well, let's talk about it. Then they just brush over that. That pissed me off. But also what pissed me off about this is like my, my screaming questions are, why was Jessica's, why were there no digital forensics done on her computer and her cell phone? Like, did she search for cyanide? Because that's basically the crux of this case. The prosecution is arguing that Jessica put the cyanide in Myrna's Vietnamese coffee and then she drank it and she immediately started convulsing and she died, which I think is a plausible uh, thing. Like it it looks like based on the CCTV footage that that could have happened, but they did not build any kind of case from there. So like, aren't you going to corroborate it by doing digital forensics on her laptop? And what was she Googling during that time leading up to it? And also like, where are the friends from their friend circle to come and testify about anything Jessica might have said about Myrna in the days and weeks leading up? Like, was Jessica particularly mad at Myrna for anything? Was there a love triangle? They just leave you hanging and they expect... They don't answer these questions. They, 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 They don't answer them at all. Yeah. So basically, we're supposed to make a decision based on some CCTV footage that's really grainy, that doesn't really prove anything, looks a little suspicious, but it doesn't prove anything. Also, we're supposed to believe these experts, one of which is talking about how fucking Jessica's eyes don't sparkle, like get out of here with that. Then you have one expert who says that no cyanide was found in her body from that one sample or small sample that they took from her stomach. A trace. It was trace. But then they said three days later, 
that cyanide was detected at 0.02 or 0.2 milligrams. Which is the same as, it's less than an apple. What apple has cyanide in it? And I guess that's what, 0.6? Yeah, not enough to be deadly. So they're like, Mm -hmm. okay, there wasn't cyanide. Okay, there was, it was a trace amount. But then another expert testifies that like, like well over a thousand or like 1700 milligrams or maybe even 7,000 milligrams no, it was, was found on the glass, the gl- the glass of coffee. Wait, what? I missed that. Yes. Okay. I missed that. How did I miss that? Because what I found fascinating, so I wrote some notes watching it. Um, first of all, my understanding when I started watching it was that this made headlines and they compared this to the O.J. Simpson case because it was such a huge, sensational case where it trumped in ratings to um, the soap operas there, just like O.J. Simpson case did here in the U.S. But um, they didn't really make the connection further than it was just a sensational media case in the media. And it's it was completely kind of like different. O.J. It was like, OJ, like to your point, there were, you know, average everyday citizens tuning in at their local coffee shop and in front of their TVs mm-hmm. at home watching this trial in real time. So in that sense, yeah, and I, there was a lot of media surrounding it and everything. But... but it got that media because of the cyanide poisoning. It's a beautiful, there are two beautiful women. One murders her friend with poisoning her with cyanide in her iced coffee. That's the premise. But then to come down to it, it unravels that there's no even, there's not even cyanide. There's no no cyanide in this equation. Is that what you got too? Or is there like... I did it first. So here's what's confusing. And I took a note about this. Okay. So the defense expert said 70 minutes after Myrna passed away, They tested her stomach. They took a sample and the defense expert at trial said no cyanide was detected. So it's like, okay, this wasn't cyanide poisoning. We need to move on. Well, then another expert for the prosecution or, or maybe I can't remember which side, but it may have been the prosecution testified that actually, yes, three days they tested again her body three days after her death, not 70 minutes, but three days. Now, all of a sudden there is 0.2 milligrams detected in her body. But I guess the lethal dose is closer to 50 to 70 milligrams. So then still they're saying there's a little bit of cyanide, but not at all enough to kill anybody. But then there's a toxicologist that actually says that they tested the actual coffee cup that held the coffee that Myrna was drinking. And they found that it had 7,400 milligrams of cyanide on the glass. And so the defense argues, wait a minute, if 7,400 milligrams of cyanide were found in this coffee cup, everybody around would pass out because that is, that's a level that like, it wouldn't just affect the person drinking it's the gas. coffee. It's a gas yes, as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's like, what, what was it? And they never really answer that question for and us. And they don't have the glass, by the way. So in they don't court, the- they don't even have the glass at the actual all. Glass. The, the actual glass. It's gone. It's missing. (laughs) Like they literally like it reminds me of like Jean Benet Ramsey's case is like probably the reason, unfortunately, that it will never be solved is that law enforcement botched this case from the get go so badly. And it seems like in Myrna's case, several people in positions of authority also botched, you know, this case and just didn't do things that should have been done so that we could get actual final answers 
So I have a question of like, again, why were there no digital forensics done? Wouldn't that be like easy? Why didn't they talk about her searches leading up to this murder? If she premeditated it, she's researching this somehow. We need to actually divulge that. So she was charged with pre, she was charged with one charge of premeditated murder. First degree murder. Yes. Premeditated. Premeditated. Right. And then it's like, okay, let's talk about motive. And I understand. And this, I guess the same. And the prosecutors say, we don't need a motive. Yes, you do. Here's the thing. You don't have to prove motive. And I think that's the same for the US and in Indonesia. You technically don't have to prove motive because that's a really hard thing to do. You don't have to prove motive. But it helps to paint a picture for the jury or the judges, whoever is overseeing this case. It helps if you can tell a story, like give a reason why this person would have gone to these great lengths to murder their friend. So the only motive that was given by the prosecution was so stupid was that apparently like, you know, here you have beautiful, um, and I'm saying this in quotes, beautiful Mirna. She's married. She's living her dream life. And then you have homely. And again, I'm not saying she's homely, but this is the way. Not in any way. Jessica, right. She was beautiful, but people are painting her as this, like the ugly duckling friend who doesn't have the life that her friend has. And apparently the prosecution is saying the motive for Jessica to kill Myrna is that apparently Myrna had scolded her, uh, Jessica, and said, you're dating this guy. You shouldn't be dating him. He's bad for you. And Jessica got so angry about that, that she poisoned her friend to death. I'm sorry, but that is so ridiculous. And and also, listen, I am not opposed to thinking that that could have led somebody to murder, maybe, But like, where are the friends to testify? Oh, yeah, that actually makes sense because Jessica had been talking shit about Myrna and she was really angry and she started yelling when she just, you know what I mean? Like, where are the friends to corroborate this motive? You can't just throw that out there and not back it up. Right. And murder is conflict resolution. So they're not painting a picture of any conflict between Mara Myrna and Jessica in any way. The fact is that the situation in itself that they're made for coffee, it was my understanding for how they set this up, correct me if I'm wrong, that they had not seen each other for four years and were now meeting for the first time at this coffee shop to have coffee and reconnect after college. Is that your understanding too? Or yes, other than I don't remember what the time length, like how much time had gone by since they'd seen each other, but certainly they were reconnecting as two people who live in two different countries, but remained friends. So I guess their only communications during that time would have been digital, would have been on the phone or text, but like they hadn't seen each other in a while. I think that's, that's true. And they were just kind of like reconnecting. So it's like, mm-hmm. what happened in between that time to make Jessica want to kill Myrna? And they do. Okay. So then, of course. Oh, there's a start, surprise. There's yeah, a surprise. They bring the Australian. in an Australian <laughs> officer who says there's 14 incidences back in Australia that are actually quite noteworthy that I wish they would have spent a little bit more time on. Again, was, the documentary dropped the ball and gave us a tidbit yeah. of information and didn't go dive she deeper. She crashed into a nursing home, destroying it. And then they show footage of her car smashed into this this resident. It looks like a residential home. 
Yeah. And so there's proof that it happened. And then they show there an incident that uh, she had sent texts to her ex-boyfriend saying she wanted to kill herself. They didn't go through all the 14 incidences, but the other incident was she wanted to kill her boss. I could get a gun and I know the right dosage, which is hearsay, by the way, in the American court system that I think would be hearsay. That is exactly right. And here's the thing. This is what pissed me off again. It's like, you give us a little nugget. Like when they started bringing, when they brought in that Australian law enforcement officer to come and talk about Jessica's alleged 14 brushes with the law, I thought, hmm, this is interesting because that's going to go to her character. If they can show me 14 incidences where she acted violently or committed a crime or something like, but they didn't. All they said was that she may, she was suicidal at one point, which that doesn't mean that you're going to go kill someone. Uh, So if she was, you know, having a mental health issue and and wanted to die by suicide, that does not mean she's going to go murder her friend. So again, I need more information. They also say, like you said, that that she, Jessica, crashed into somebody's house. Well, did she do it on purpose? Did she do it on accident? Was, was she, she like, on, was she drugs? drinking? Yeah, like we don't was, know. Did she did she have too much of her medication dosage, and it, she couldn't? I I don't know. There's like so much context missing. You so know? much, and that just like really irked me. And I'm like, okay, you, again, you're gonna give us this nugget but you're not going to explain it. And so now we're just left with so many questions. What got me is they started the uh, documentarians started to interview Jessica in prison. Yes. And they diary and the diary too, but they started to interview Jessica in prison. So we get about, I don't know, one minute interview interview footage of her in current day. And then the prison shuts it down. And then we're told that, this is abnormal for the authorities to shut down an interview because terrorists even get interviews in prison. So that I found kind of interesting is like, why shut this conversation? Then they say this interview is going too deep or something like that. Yeah, like the authorities why, do. Yeah, like to your point, why is it that Jessica, who let's fast, let's just say she was convicted mm-hmm. of first degree murder and she was sentenced to 20 years in prison. And I guess as of today, she served about seven years of her 20-year sentence. So she is currently in prison for the murder of her friend in Indonesia. But like you said, you know, why would they treat her like a terrorist in Indonesia was able to be Worse than a terrorist. Worse right. than a terrorist. Yeah. So why can't the press interview Jessica? So why is she being treated differently? And then they bring up the subject of her diary, which also kind of, it really pissed me off. So <laughs> I, I'm so irritated. I don't think we're doc- making a case for anybody to watch this documentary. Do you, okay, lie detectors you weigh rage in. Watch. Yeah, 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 rage watch with us or um, <laughs> lie detectors chime in and tell us, do you want to watch this documentary? Have you watched this documentary? And are we Did selling it? <laughs> And here's the challenge. Did we Melissa. save you an hour and 30 minutes? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like how, how wait, wait, we... less than that because we had to deduct whatever this is for our podcast episode. Did I guess like we're yeah. kind of by proxy making them watch this? <laughs> no, we pretty much are. We're forcing it. And and listen, I rage watched the whole freaking time. 
And Misery loves company, so you exactly. all are on the ride with us. Yeah, so go watch it. So you can hit us up in the Instagram comments and let us know how bad it pissed you off. Because this pissed me off too. Okay, the diary. Okay. So like, okay, after the trial's over, the defense, you know, says something like, uh, and by the defense, I mean her lawyer, says something like, well... And then we got access. Jessica gave us access to her diary. And I'm like, ooh. Ooh, this is wow. Like, what? what? I, and here's the thing. Oh, I'm oh, but there's a catch. There's a catch. I'm, yes. Like, I'm <laughs> expecting that they're going to talk about what was written in her diary leading up to Myrna's death. But come to find out, it's just Jessica writing in her diary after Myrna died. And, and it seems like she's just writing shit to make herself not look guilty. So like it doesn't, it's a big nothing burger is the way I described it. <laughs> like it's literally, and here's the thing. This is what pisses me off. I'm so angry at this dog. Okay. Here's another thing that pisses me off, Melissa. And tell me if you share this. So at one point you hear Jessica talking after the fact and she's like, and maybe she's, this was in her diary or maybe she just said this as part of an interview. I can't remember. Jessica says, oh, I think it's something she wrote. This is something she wrote in her diary after Myrna's death. She writes something like, why would I kill my friend in a public place? And I could just get a gun. Like I know how to use guns and I'm paraphrasing, but here's the thing. When somebody said, like, if your defense for not killing somebody is, well, why would I do that? I'm sorry. That is not a good defense. Like anybody can say, no, you know what I mean? Like if I go mm -hmm. and um, harm my neighbor right now, but I don't want anybody to know. And then you come over and you find out about it and you're like, Jamie, like you, everybody's saying you harmed your neighbor. And I'm like, why would I harm my neighbor? That is a shitty defense, Jessica. Like Jessica. <laughs> okay. Gotta, okay. I but like can't. to, but she, we have to give Jessica credit for being consistent because when the verdict was laid out before her that she was guilty and going to prison, the girl didn't even flinch an eye or like, oh. she actually, I think kind of looked like she was smiling. She and did just, smile and laugh through a lot of the press attention too, which like yeah. really irked me. But also like, listen, some people smile and laugh when they're nervous, but it really rubbed me the wrong way when she did that. Here's the real challenge, Melissa, which I don't know if you're ready, you know, to kind of like tie this thing all together, but I want to know, and I'll give my opinion too, based on everything you watched, do you think she did it? Why or why not? I say not guilty. But do you think she did it? Like she may have not gotten a fair trial, but do you think if you were to put money on it that she did it? I think what why I'm answering, I don't think she did it is because I don't have all the answers. Nothing makes sense. There's no motive. I do not know why, because there was an expert that said had, because they were not able to dissect her organs, she could have had a stroke. What we, what we witnessed might not have been cyanide poisoning, but actually a medical issue. And I have a lot of doubts that there's cyanide poisoning involved here for A, and that B, that this could have been a stroke. It doesn't explain, because there's a, a lingering mystery here that Jessica co goes to the coffee shop. Her friends show what, 50 plus minutes after she arrives. Yeah. And I mean, if I'm inviting you to coffee, I don't expect you to show up an hour later. 
So I'm thinking you would show up within 15 minutes. So I don't understand why this, why being at this coffee shop so much earlier, that was not answered. Yeah. Except for in the prosecutor's case of saying that she was scouting it and picking the right table and all of that stuff. But, um, and why did she show up and then leave and then come back with bags? Like that's never really, nothing's really ever explained. There's, there's some suspicious stuff, but not enough to make a case. Like where I land on this is 100%. She did not get a fair trial. Like I think I, I would say there, if I was on the jury or I was a judge, there is not enough here to convict. They, no. There were so many holes in the prosecution's case that I cannot do yeah. that. Like That's why I said not guilty is because in our judicial system, I have too many doubts to put somebody in prison for 20 years. Yes. You know? And if I'm just going based on gut feeling, not in a mm-hmm. court of law, not in a, I think she did it. I do. But I, why? okay, I think that it's, think that it's, it's circumstantial. And again, they don't give me enough to really paint a really strong circumstantial case. But based on what we know, she showed up to the coffee place. Then she I have leaves. the timeline right up here. Like made a little note. Yeah, it was like in the um, afternoon. Yeah, it was actually in the more like evening. It was, um, so it was in 2016, 3.30 p.m. Jessica arrives at the cafe and leaves after two minutes. So we don't know if there was a text exchange saying, exactly. like, say, I'm like, we're still an hour away. We don't and know And then that. Jessica's like, okay, I'll go shopping Bang while to burn you guys... Time. Exactly. She comes back with shopping bags. We don't know. The documentary does not explain those two minutes. First of all, two minutes to go shopping and get bags. Wait a minute. How does she get shopping bags in two minutes? Well, I don't think it was two minutes. I think it was a little bit longer. Oh, sorry. No, 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 you're right. So 3.30 p.m., Jessica arrives and leaves after two minutes. 4.14. So that puts us to what, like 40, 45 minutes later, minutes later she, she arrives back. with shopping bags. 4.18, Jessica orders drinks. She orders the Vietnamese iced coffee. And at 4.24, coffee is served to Jessica sitting alone. And uh, Jessica, we do know Jessica texts Mira, I've already ordered. Yes. Then 52 minutes later, Mirna arrives with a friend. Um, I think it's uh, Harney or Haney. And then at 518, so the ice is probably melted at this point in mm-hmm. <laughs> her iced yeah, coffee. For sure. Mira drinks the coffee. She starts convulsing and has trouble breathing. So the fact that she drinks it and then this happens, but we don't know anything about no, Mirna's day. About her health or her day. So it's all circumstantial. So I think that if you put together the fact that Jessica arrives at the coffee shop, she leaves two minutes later, she comes back 45 minutes later with bags now in her hand. Then she orders the drinks ahead of time. She sort of surveys the restaurant. Then you have her sit down. She doesn't put her bags in the chair or the booth space next to her, she places them all on the table, which I thought was odd. And again, this doesn't make a case for murder. But if I go to a restaurant and there's a table, the last thing I'm going to do is crowd that table with a bunch of my shopping bags. Like I'm going to try and get them out of the way. So the prosecution is saying she placed those bags there on purpose so she could hide the coffee so that she could pour the poison or whatever it was she did into the coffee cup. And I think that makes sense. 
And then the fact that it's very, very odd that as right after she starts drinking this coffee, Mirna, she goes into convulsions and stuff like that. And I think if I were to do a little research, I but based on just what I think I know, her symptoms, like her, her not being able to breathe and her convulsing is consistent, I believe, don't quote me on this, with cyanide poisoning. What would happen to the body with a cyanide poisoning? But then after that, I can't build a case anymore because the question, I have so many questions. So that's why I'm saying, if I were a jury member or a judge, there's no way I would convict this woman on this. There's no way I would convict Jessica on the evidence that was presented. But if you're asking me if we're just two gals talking casually about a case, if I had to put money on it based on my gut instinct of what we know and what we don't know, I think there's a decent chance that she did do it. I don't know why. I don't know. Like, there's so many questions. Well, it makes me want to Google the case and just see what else I could find other than this documentary. However, you know, I... I feel a little uns- I feel unsettled that this young person, this young lady, is sitting in a prison. When yeah, I don't she think didn't- she should be in prison. I don't think they didn't she should be build a case uh, for that. They didn't build a case for that. Yeah, and then the ending is very unique to me, which is the victim's father comes back on. He's drinking his wine. He's a little bit of a snob now. By yeah, the way, is. like he's got his red wine and he's like very swirling particular, it. swirling it yeah. and precocious. Uh. Yeah, I found him precocious. And then um, he says, there was a happy ending. First of all, there's no fucking happy ending in criminal courts. Oh, no, he goes, I won. I, I won. won. And I hated that. Oh, I, I hated that. Oh, that just so made my almost... skin crawl. Me too. And here's oh, the thing, Melissa. And he said, I got the guilty verdict. Did you catch yes. that? He said, yes. I got it. I won. I I convicted. I found her guilty. Like he which was I think, taking all the credit. Yes. Which I think tells you a lot. And I am no expert. I am not a psychologist. I have no, but here's my gut on that as well. He is an extremely self-centered person and he made it all about him and he literally it seemed like he didn't care that he got justice for his daughter and again these are my words not his he cared more that he won he wanted to win and he won and I hated everything about that and he also didn't show a lot of emotion during this thing or any at all and here's the thing he just bragged about how he everybody wanted to pose with pictures with him Yes. So that rubbed me the wrong way as well. And it really grossed me out. It gave me the ick. And when he said, I won, I got the conviction, dude, calm down, calm Mm -hmm. down. And he wanted to make clear throughout the documentary, I did my own investigation. I had to investigate this thing. I, so he's taking credit for everything. So to me, he does seem like he, he rubs me the wrong way. I have a lot of empathy for his loss. Don't get me wrong as a parent. And I can never, yeah. But um, as far as me, uh, my he's too much for me. He's yeah, he is too much. I feel like he's gloating. Mm-hmm. He goes to the prison to to see Jessica, and Jessica's refusing to see him. And he takes that as a sign of her guilt because she should, if she was innocent, she would be crying begging. and begging and pleading. And she was like, I don't want to see this dude. I don't see this man. But the cliffhanger that we can't tell in case people do want to watch this, the only thing that I think is is interesting is at the very end, they have a narrator reading some lines from her diary. Yeah. 
And Jessica explains it all to us what really happened. Oh, wait. Did I miss that? Maybe you did. How did I? It's at the very end. She explains it. The diary that she wrote after everything. Oh, oh, they use a narrator, a woman's voice, to read her diary entry. And she explains the shopping bag. She explains what happened that day. She explains everything at the very end. Well, I think I remember, but I don't think I took it as like an explanation. Maybe I'm missing something, but I... She hit every beat of what was against her, of what happened that day. Okay. At the end. end. I don't remember it making an impact on how I felt about the case. Like, I feel like, I feel like it was all just kind of like, well, why would I do that? And if I was going to do it, I would get to get, like, I don't think that she, maybe I'm missing something, but like, did she give a good answer? Did she give a good answer? Well, I don't want to answer in case somebody wants to watch it. (laughs) I mean, I'm confused because I remember the, I don't remember ever feeling like she made a good case. She explains the shopping bags. She explained why she placed the shopping bags where she did. She explained, maybe I put too much meaning into it. Okay. I'm having doubts now about how I I watched it. it. Yeah. Like I, I like didn't heard her I didn't say it. these things. I dismissed it. I was like, no, that doesn't give me anything to go on. Like it didn't sound convincing that mm-hmm. like she it like to me, it didn't sound like an explanation for uh that was strong enough to go, oh yeah, that's why she didn't do it because now she's explained it and now that makes sense. Like for me, it seemed kind of like a, a nothing burger again. But now okay. I'm gonna go rewatch it and see if I Oh, put any weight. What to if what I she disappoint said. you? I made it to be something special, and it's not. Well, maybe it is, but uh, <laughs> like I and everybody. That's what's so interesting is that you and I, if we were sitting on the jury, that's what's so interesting about juries is we, my brain processes things differently from the way your brain is going to critically think about something, and neither one of us can say we're correct because it's just a judgment call. Like it's just this is how I'm processing it. That's how you're processing it. I think I remember thinking like. Uh, yeah, kind of like everything she wrote in her diary just seemed like a nothing burger. Like, okay, you still could have done this. Like, that's how I took it. Like, you're not mm-hmm. really making a good case for your explanations still kind of place you as being a, a suspect. Isn't this terrifying, though? That is what I did walk away with. It's It's terrifying to me to ever be accused of any crime because it's such a gamble on proving your innocence if you're if you're if you even could because people's biases and prejudices would be either in your favor or against you and you're right so uncontrollable I think that's what scares me and why we even are doing this podcast is I think to even explore as a female what are those extra biases because I felt that (coughs) she was vilified by her looks as a female. I don't know if a man would have been that way. No, I, I agree with know. you on that. Absolutely. But there's also cultural, it, it could have been culturally different in in this aspect. I don't know. But um, what I did think about is not the O.J. Simpson case in relation to this. I thought about the Jody Ayers case. And the reason why I thought about that is because Jessica showed up to court every day in a white blouse, just like Jodi Aris did. And I found Jodi to be beautiful. I found Jessica to be beautiful. I found Jodi's behavior in court to be odd. I found Jessica's behavior to be odd. So Mm -hmm. if I was to make any kind of, you know, similarity or comparison to a case here in the U.S., I would say it was Jodi Aris and not the O.J. Simpson case. 
I would agree with you because I think the only thing that was like OJ-esque about it was the fact that everybody was watching it in real time, almost like it was a sport, like the Super Bowl that we all can like come together on. And then like if you're waiting at a coffee shop for your coffee, uh, you could be like, oh my God, what do you think about this OJ Simpson trial? Like everybody was watching. So it was just something that brought the world together. Mm -hmm. And and maybe this case did that in Indonesia, but I I hear you and I, I tend to agree with you that it has more similarities to the Jody Arias case, other than or the even fact that like, Amanda Knox, or even that, like, yeah, 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 and and you make a good point that women's looks come up so often. Look how bad they tore Marsha Clark apart oh in the OJ Simpson trial. That makes me angry to this day. What she went through, and by the way, to your earlier point, it is terrifying. Because once you're accused of something, an arrest is made, and you go on trial. The cards are already stacked against you, but also people are human. So the people that sit on juries, they're human and they can and they will vote based on emotion. Judges are human. And I don't care what you say. Nobody can tell me that every single judge in the entire world is just this unbiased by the book. No, they're human and they make mistakes too. And they have biases and they have... um you know, they just, they have prejudices. They have that and law enforcement officers, you know, lawyers, like politicians, everybody is human. And that's why it's terrifying to me because it's not a perfect system at all. Because how could it be? Because humans are imperfect, but humans are deciding on your fate. And that in itself, like, you know what I mean? Could get you on the wrong side of things. So the moral of the story today is don't, get accused of anything. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because it's your fault. So, you it's do. your fault if you do yeah. get accused of something. <laughs> and and you are definitely guilty before innocent in any court, in yeah, any and, court. And also like, don't be ugly and get accused of something because that's unfortunately going to be stacked against you. Like, I'm Or joking, don't be... Like, or don't be uglier than the victim, apparently. Yeah. Oh. That's what this this case has taught me. Don't be uglier than the victim. Because you will be the villain. And you know what? <laughs> don't be a woman who gets accused of anything because you're going to be, your looks are going to be torn apart. So absolutely, women, this is our PSA. Don't get accused of anything because you're screwed no matter, from the start because you are a woman and your looks will be picked apart. And they will become part of the freaking trial and they should never, that should never be evidence of anything. But yeah, Yeah. it happens all the time. And I always go back to how like Marsha Clark was treated and how her haircut and her all everything was picked apart. But and the media sucked during that time. I'm sorry, the media sucks a lot. Anyway, sometimes sometimes not. But like, dude, the way that they did her dirty was just ick, like so ick. Marsha Clark was picked apart, but none of the male you know, prosecutors, they didn't talk about what they were wearing or their haircut or their facial hair or their blah, 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 blah. Anyway, anyway. I could go on and on. But yeah, okay, so this was, this was fun. It this was. was fun. I actually really enjoyed talking to you about this and watching it. And I like that this was kind of like going to school and you get a homework assignment and then you found it well, like you liked yeah. it. Like yeah. I remember in high school, they would have us read Shakespeare and I was like, ah, dreading it. And then you come to love the characters. So I like that this pushed me out of my, my, my point is I like that this pushed me out of my normal viewing and into something new. Me too. In the and true I, crime world. Yes. Yeah. And I love that you and I watched it 
and we had we we took different things from it which mm-hmm. i is so cool like that we didn't we didn't just mirror each other's reactions or opinions so i liked that part of it but i think both of us can agree that i'm sorry this documentary they left a lot of holes i don't know if it was the documentary or if it was like the evidence in the case itself was lacking like i just i don't know but somewhere they're just they leave a lot of questions they so do. Anyway, I this was really fun and uh I really I want a it. Vietnamese coffee, but not that one, obviously. <laughs> I'm a I'm a coffee snob, even though I say that and I'm sitting here drinking Starbucks. Coffee snobs would be like, bitch, that is shitty coffee. It's convenient, but I do love discovering like when I'm out, if I'm out on vacation or if I'm in a different part of LA. I love walking into like these cool indie coffee shops where they really do have unique and good coffee. I love coffee, as you know. So this Mm -hmm. case kind of struck me from that standpoint too. I can identify with Myrna's love for coffee. On that note, thank you for listening to us chat about uh, iced coffee. No, not iced coffee. It's called Ice Cold. What a unique title. Ice I know. Cold. Well, here's Coffee the thing. Murder. I thought the title was really lame. I'm sorry. You would have done a way as a producer of true crime documentaries, Melissa, you would have done a way better job. This title I don't is know. not exciting. I don't know what I would have called this, but not that. Ice cold murder. No, ice cold coffee murder, murder. coffee <laughs> and Jessica Wongson. Like, like, come on. You could do better than that, you know. But anyway. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, I love doing this with you. Lie detectors. We will see you soon uh, for another episode. Bye. Bye. Hey, lie detectors, leave a five-star rating and drop your favorite lipstick in the review section because we lie detectors don't gatekeep. And follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Lipstick and Lies if you want to see behind the scenes and clips of us recording each episode and be a part of the lie detector community. Executive producers of Lipstick and Lies are Melissa Moore, myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. The podcast is co-produced by Cloud10 Media. Subscribe to Lipstick and Lies so you don't miss an episode. We all know that crime is usually a good old boys club, but sometimes the truth lies behind lipstick. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.